Hello and welcome to Backforce Podcast, the place where we discuss, debate and speculate a bunch of stories from the footballing world. Now, this week I'm joined by uh, special guest Will Hodgetts, who's been a fantastic supporter of the channel so far. Will, how are you finding life without the football? I'm alive. <laughs> I'm breathing. Um, I, the days are ever slower. The weekends mm. are, are becoming... The weekends themselves are feeling like weeks rather than days now uh, without anything to keep an eye on. So it's difficult. It really is. Um, and I was having a chat with someone this morning. We were saying, you know, what's the one thing that you're looking forward to most about this lockdown period ending? And I think we both came to the same conclusion that live football of a weekend was right at the top of that list. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been a struggle, but it's for the greater good. Yeah, exactly. And, but, you know, people have been going on, haven't they, about how you know, it, at least when coronavirus started, how annoying it will be with games played behind closed doors and all that. Like, I don't care. Just get me back football, get watching, you know, watching stuff on the television. That's all I'll take for now. Um, you know, I saw something the other day, you know, I think it was some leaked conversation from Bristol City where, um, you know, they thought that football might not even be back till January. So it might be a longer wait yet, but hopefully we can at least get some football behind closed doors sorted soon. Yeah, and I mean, but then you consider, you look at Germany and they're looking at starting games again within the next few weeks. So I think all the eyes around Europe and Europe's top leagues and UEFA themselves are going to be watching that very, very carefully to see how they how they manage that process. Uh, but yeah, like you said, there's loads of things being written. I saw this week people saying about how footballers might have to wear masks whilst playing, running around <laughs> looking like Bane from Batman. Um, and... You, you just know that that decision or that idea has come from someone who clearly has never worn a mask. I mean, my mum said the other day that she she wears one when she goes to Sainsbury's to do a shop. Yeah. Half an hour into just walking around Sainsbury's, she needs to take it off to have a breath of fresh air. So let alone running around at top speed as a, as a professional athlete for 90 minutes. No, exactly. So speaking of things that have been written at the moment, we're going to be talking about something that's been in the media a lot recently, lots and lots of coverage, and that is the Newcastle United potential financial takeover. Uh, obviously, the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund have made a £300 million offer to Mike Ashley, which, of course, has been accepted and is just going through those final checks from the Premier League. They're absolutely loaded wads and wads of cash uh, and probably going to be uh, an exciting team in the future will what are your thoughts regarding the takeover i mean it just it it's something that's been long coming for newcastle let's be honest you know they've got such a loyal fan base they're such a big club they've got one of the best stadiums certainly with regards to atmosphere in the country um and their fan yeah their fan base is just die hard mm, the definition yeah. of a die hard fan base and they've deserved so much more than Mike Ashley. <laughs> yes, yeah, so um, true. And you know the thing—the thing that just sums up that club over the last—I don't know however long it is that Ashley's been involved—is an eight-year deal he gave to it's Alan Pardew shocking. to be their to be their <laughs> manager. That just sums up. Uh, that just sums up um, Mike Ashley's tenure as, as as the chairman of that of that club. And I think if they all their Christmases will have come at once if this goes oh, through. Absolutely. You know, having having that mu- that amount of money behind them is just ridiculous. And uh, you know, we were talking about this the other day, and you, I don't know the figures off my head. You might be able to to correct me, but something along the lines of you know, Man City's owners are worth twenty three billion, yeah. and then these owners that are going to buy Newcastle, uh, 
potentially are worth 260 billion yeah well outrageous figures figures will suggest that they'll have more money than all of the other 19 premier league teams combined so um that's that, that's a figure to at least you know raise a few eyebrows you see what city have done this decade and you know we, we could be talking in 2030 newcastle being one of the biggest biggest teams in the world but um but yeah we'll see i guess um so the idea of this podcast will uh, as as you know as we've discussed we're going to be talking about you know what newcastle's next step should be should they be aggressive in the transfer window once this deal goes through you know while the you know premier league are obviously looking at it to see whether you know they should let this let this deal 300 million go through but it's widely believed that this will this will amount to something at least and and they'll have to you know to think about their next steps moving forward first thing i'm going to bring up with you because you had an interesting theory on this is management so what do you think newcastle should do with regards to steve bruce keep him or get rid of him i it's such a difficult question to pose if if this is you and this is on football manager or it's fifa <laughs> if you're able to control the manager on fifa for example you're binning them off straight away you 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 you're throwing them in the tine and and forgetting <laughs> that he ever existed but in reality at the end of the day he's got a, he's earned at least the opportunity to give it a go yeah um i think that's certainly the the stance that i know that you stand by definitely but i i genuinely can't see long term that he will be there. Uh, I think it's going to be very much a case of if, if this takeover happens and this money is available, it's giving uh, a kid's pocket money to it all in one go and telling him to go into a sweet shop and, and not spend it all at once. It's just not going to happen. He's going to, he's never had been in that position where he's had money to spend. I can just see that it could be like a, an Everton reaction when you get money and that oh, you yeah, just yeah. spend it for the sake of it. And it, you don't do well on off the back of it and then there's the fact that he's never had to deal with egos certainly not big egos or world-class egos right, for yeah, right. that are being paid 150 grand a week um so i think long term i think there are two in my eyes there are two uh potential managerial candidates that stand out above anybody else and that is obviously mauricio pochettino and rafael benitez well, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to those candidates in a minute. I think, I think where I stand with Steve Bruce, as as I've kind of already already expressed to you, will is is I think he deserves a chance, some sort of chance, whether that be half a season, one transfer window. I, I, he's he's effectively done nothing wrong on his on everything the board have asked him to do, which is stay up, spend spend in a lean manner. He's managed to achieve that. So, uh, a, you know, a bit like City did with Mark Hughes, I guess, give, give him that opportunity to to try and prove himself to some, you know, in some capacity. I do understand the the kid in a candy store reference. I mean, I'll always remember um, Steve Bruce back in his Hull days when he was talking about Hull being in a massive relegation scrap, and in January he said, you know, well, you're only as good as your striker. You're only as good as your striker, and the board opened up about 15 million, and he spent it on Shane Long. So. You know, no dis, no, you know, no disrespect to Shane Long. I know you're a big fan of, of world class. No, you're a big fan of Shane being a, <laughs> being a Southampton supporter. But as for as for Pochettino and Benitez, obviously that well, certainly Pochettino, that would be an absolute absolute coup for um for Newcastle, uh, and probably a challenge that that he he'd likely want to take on. I would have thought. Yeah, I think Pochettino would be. It would 
open the eyes of everyone in the footballing world if they were able to uh, to take that scalp and bring him to to Newcastle. It would be be phenomenal, especially when you consider that he's been long tutored to be the Man United manager. Mm. He's been long tutored to be the Real Madrid manager. Um, it's a case of he is arguably one of the top five managers in the world, and it was a surprise to everybody when Tottenham pulled the trigger and and got rid of him and brought in Mourinho, which I think. You know, if you speak to any Tottenham fan, they they don't like that decision. Mm. They never did, and they they never will. the The rapport they were able to build between themselves and and Pochettino during his time at White Hart Lane and now their new stadium was huge. You know, there was a, there was such a strong love between between the two, and he was able to do wonders on a very very tight budget. Yeah. Let's not forget when you consider how Daniel Levy operates that football club so it would be huge absolutely it would be a great challenge for him and if you look at certain managers that have trodden a similar path and the one that spreads uh, springs to mind for me of course being a Southampton supporter is Ralph Hasenhuttle going from RP Leipzig mm. finishing second yeah, yeah, yeah. in the Bundesliga to taking over a Premier League team fighting for survival in the Saints so and he he's made it abundantly clear that he wants that challenge. You know, it's something that is fresh. It's something that's new, but it also makes you work. You have to work for it. It's not a case of you've got the world's best players at your disposal. You have to build a squads. You have to build a, a a culture. We've just said how much Tottenham fans loved Pochettino. Newcastle fans love yeah. Rafa Benitez. And it was the fact the only reason he left was because he wasn't being supported by the board. And this is a manager that has done virtually everything in the club game. He's managed some of the biggest clubs in the world. He's done wonders at some of the biggest clubs in the world. And when you consider he's done that as well at clubs that haven't necessarily wanted him. And by that, I mean Chelsea is probably the most prime example of that. You could throw uh, Real Madrid in there as well. But Chelsea is the one that stands out considering he won trophies there. And he's still wasn't loved well Newcastle they would snap your hand off if you offered them the chance to bring Rafa back to the club and it would be great to see what he would be able to bring with the support that he was after I think he had a vision for the club and it would be nice to see that vision followed through Um, so it'd be a case of offered Pochettino and Rafa to Newcastle fans I think it'd probably be split 50-50 into way into which way each fan would would want their club to go. Yeah, I th- I think I think kind of for me personally Pochettino is the more exciting option um simply because he you know he he got Tottenham to the Champions League final in seat you know with so many seasons after struggling in many respects uh, to to be that groundbreaking on the on the world stage and and I think that as you say with Benitez he he did leave. He did decide to leave. Newcastle fans still, you know, massively support him for for his decision. Mm. Um, but in many respects, having having someone who has you know knows the club inside out as well, that's probably I think almost Benitez might be the right option here, even if Pochettino seems like the kind of five star one in many respects. Um, but with with Manchester City having gone through a similar process this decade or you know previous decade, um, they can almost act as the canary down the mine for Newcastle. 
um, and Newcastle could consider, as it's worked brilliantly for you know for the you know the Manchester club, they could maybe look at that business plan and see what they did in terms of building up their brand and you know recruiting and things. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at some some um, players that Newcastle have been linked with. But before we get onto that, a little bit of a, a quiz, Will. Okay. I want to test you on your knowledge. Yep. Um, there were eight players that were signed around the time of the takeover. So two players that were signed just before the the um, the deadline went through, or the the deal went through, and then six players after that that were um, that were signed in in that kind of January transfer window. So how many can you name? Eight players. Oh, see, I'm gonna rack my brains. Yeah, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you eight. I'm gonna give you eight guesses as well. Eight players. Eight guesses. See how many you can get out of eight. So we all know their first big signing was Rubinho. So that is one of them. Yes. That was the big surprise signing. Now I'm trying to think because I can remember the players they spent the hundred million on. The following summer, so I'm hoping uh-huh. that that is perhaps the players that you mean. And uh, the the first player I say will be will be the indicator as to whether I'm right or not. So Gareth Barry is not on that list, and you are you are you've jumped ahead. You're looking you're looking. I have jumped way you need, ahead. Okay. You need to um, you need to uh, yeah think think before that. So that's a um, yeah one hit one miss. I think I'm going to struggle. I am going to struggle because uh, okay. Yeah, Rubinho. C- can you give me some positions where they strengthened? What positions was it? Of course. So, I'm going to give you a a midfielder for 17 million from abroad, a well-travelled Welsh player from the Premier League, a defender who was well known for unfortunately well-known for some quite scandalous antics off the field that weren't anything to do with, well, weren't his fault. Um, A goalkeeper who uh, they bought from the club we've just been discussing and two absolute heroes of the club that, um, that lifted their first title. And then there's, and then there's another player that you're never going to get. So (laughs) I won't even give you, won't even give you a chance on that one. So the Welsh player is Craig Bellamy. It is indeed, yes. Craig Bellamy signed from West Ham for £14 million. Then I'd imagine the club legend would be Vincent Company. Yeah, signed only signed 10 days before the takeover. So technically, they, they nabbed him before. But they knew the deal was going through, so that's why they spent the money on him. And then you said the goalkeeper from Newcastle. Yeah. So Shea Given. It would be Shea Given, yeah, well done. The So that's how, how many are we on now? So that's four? So you've you've got Rabinho, Given, Bellamy. Yeah, Rabinho, Bellamy, Given, and Company. So that's four. You got four to go with three guesses. And you said a midfielder from abroad. A midfielder from abroad also lifted their first title. Quite a forgettable player, but <laughs> I remember. Evidently, I, no. I, it's, I I remember. I remember. <laughs> I remember him. Um, I remember him massively from the build-up play to the famous Aguero goal. That's how I remember him. Nigel de Jong. Yes, Nigel de Jong. Very good, yeah. Nigel de Jong obviously passes it into Balotelli, who lays it off for Aguero. I assume they bought him after that. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So, that's five. 
we now have... What was the other positions again I'm missing, sorry? Um, you're missing a defender who was part of a scandal, but it wasn't his fault, it was a teammate of his that caused the scandal. At Man City? Was the teammate at Man City? No, the teammate wasn't at Man City, no. Ah, uh, see. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to struggle now. So what, what position in the back line did he play? That's, that's quite... Okay, left back. You'll get it now. Surely a left back. Gail Clichy. No, not Gail Clichy. So that, that must have been quite a while That after. was a while after. Okay. Shall I put you out of your misery? Oh, Wayne Bridge. Yeah, Wayne Bridge. There you Wayne go. Bridge, Wayne Bridge. Yeah, Wayne Bridge. Oh, dear. Yeah, the famous Terry scandal. Indeed. Indeed. But now he's with Frankie Sanford, so uh, who's the real winner? Exactly. Exactly. Um, two more players you've not got. One you'll kick yourself. One I would expect not many people to know. Okay, so the one that I'll kick myself, what position were they? Um, I won't give you a position, but he has still been kicking about in the league, just about. Uh, very, very good friends with arguably the best player in the world. Zabaleta. Yeah, Zabaleta. Pablo Zabaleta. Oh, okay. From Fine. Espanyol. And he was the another one that was signed before the deadline, just a, a day before... Um, not the deadline, sorry, the, the deal. Signed, signed the day before the deal went through. It's crazy, isn't it? Because you, you assume with these players that were with the club during their most successful time that they were purchased during that time as well. Yeah, you Because you think back to the, the guys that I was originally alluding to, so the, the Gareth Barrys, the Roque Santa Cruz, Colo Torre, Adi Bayor, James Milner, Julian Lescott, all of those players, you know, solid Premier League players but not yeah. Premier League winners with regards to their uh, their ability you can actually take Gareth Barry out of that he, he yeah. did a lot for the club but the others you can Rocky Santa Cruz in particular <laughs> you you can uh, pass him up as a <laughs> flop to say the least absolutely um, so yeah it's it's funny to, to hear that actually Zabaleta was there longer than Sheikh Monsur as was Vincent Company. Yeah, crazy. And the final one so, yeah, the... was Gunnar Nielsen, a free goalkeeper they signed from Blackburn. Played 17... Who? Gunnar Nielsen played, played 17 <laughs> minutes. 17 minutes in total. Legends. Club, le- club legend. Absolutely. What a legend. Bargain, though, on a free. Too right. Too right. We all have a Bosman. <laughs> yeah, they obviously didn't rate Given that much because they signed a keeper in the same window Indeed. as Given. Well, he was replacing a 47-year-old David Seaman or something. That's very true, yeah. (laughs) Um, So that gives us a kind of idea, I guess, of of the sorts of calibre players that Newcastle might be looking at. Obviously, the market's changed massively. They won't be signing players for 17 million, 14 million and that. They'll be, you know, doubling, if not trebling, the amount that they're spending. Um, But I... Bit of research. I looked everywhere, and as you can imagine, every Geordie with a voice is is stating that they're going to be signing all these different types of players. So I didn't really have a kind of control aspect to it. So instead, I went to one site. I went to the Chronicle, um, and they listed the odds that we can bet on to um, to who Newcastle's first signing might be. So I'm going to read you the list of players from most likely to sign to least likely to sign. I'm going to have a little discussion about them, Will. Okay, sounds great. Okay, excellent. First on the list, John McGinn from Aston Villa. Well, he fits that Gareth Barry mould straight away, doesn't he? (laughs) Yeah, left-footed midfielder. From Aston Um, Villa. 
Yeah, and that's a two to one. Two to one, they've given odds for that. Um, anything to say on that? I think we're going to move on. No, I think that would be a it would be a classic. We've just come into money and we're going to spend too much on a solid Premier League player that's not going to set the world alight. Uh, he's you know he he's a great. He's been one of Aston Villa's standout players alongside Grealish. But is he going to take Newcastle to the next level, or certainly the level that these new investors would want them to go to? No, is yeah, the short answer. Not at all. Yeah, and as well, I think with Gareth Barry, he was a, a seasoned you know, experienced, you know, shown his ability in the Premier League. John McGinn's had a season, you know, and like I'm not I'm not doubting his ability at all. But um it kind of it's a kind of jump on the hype train a little bit, I think, if if they if they target him as their number one um number one pick. Um he would turn into a role player for sure. He would. That would be his long term career at Newcastle, should they bring in all this money and start spending like crazy. Yeah. And and you would have thought that McGinn would have, you know, higher aspirations, you know, being only what 24, 25 years old, he probably want more first team football than that in in the in the long run. Nathan Ake, Bournemouth 3 to 1. Interesting this one. Better 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 or worse than the John McGinn? It's better. He's certainly one of the best young centre backs in the league currently. Uh, unfortunately had a bit of a torrid season with Bournemouth but I think that's more of the the team as a whole as opposed to specifically his performances yeah I think so too this one does confuse me though when you consider that Chelsea were linked with going back in for him I think one of maybe even Man City were linked with him back in January at which point Bournemouth were quoting £70 million which when you consider that Van Dijk made a similar move from Southampton to Liverpool isn't too out there. Obviously, Van Dyke was a far more rounded player and had more strings to his bow. But when you consider the uh, inflation of the transfer market continually year on year, seventy million is arguably, if Bournemouth don't need to sell, a price that they'd be happy to sell at and would be able to reinvest. And I don't think that at this point in time, Newcastle would be willing to spend quite that much on a player that hasn't proven himself at the top of the league. So it's it would be a shrewd move for sure with regards to bringing in a quality young centre-back and you consider that centre-backs will play until they're 35, 36. So he's got a, many years ahead of him in the Premier League if he stays. Yeah. But I think the prices that Newcastle will be quoted just because they're going after the best player in this team but also from the fact that these teams are going to know they have money to spend could be a stretch too far if I was the the director of football at Newcastle. Yeah, I think that here, if I've, I've managed to, just to give us a, a, a ballpark figure on all of the different players' market values. I went on TransferMark to look at their uh, what each player's market value is. And it says Ake's 25 million. Now, we, we all know that there's no way Bournemouth would, would sell him for that. Um, but at, you know, in the time that we're in, who knows, perhaps clubs will you know clubs like Bournemouth who have only kind of become a solid Premier League team through a couple of seasons in the Premier League with TV deals and that kind of thing and they've been very fortunate to uh, to get that income perhaps with this coronavirus crisis they're going to struggle with money they might be more tempted to um, to accept a, a lower offer what, what do you think your thoughts are on that yeah I think it's a great point I think there's two 
main elements to the current situation that would be quite relevant in this scenario and that's like you've quite rightly said it's unlikely that clubs are going to be willing to spend tens of millions of pounds or euros on players simply because they've all had to furlough staff or they've had to cut staff wages and it's not going to be a very good look if they then start spending 50 million on a player there's also the fact as well of course that we don't know how the Premier League season is going to end and Bournemouth currently sat in the bottom three so yeah. if the Premier League board and the, the Premier League owners reach an agreement that for an example is linked to current standing or a points per game basis then unfortunately it looks like Bournemouth will be relegated and playing in championship football next season at which point it's going to be very hard for them to, to demand those astronomical fees for any of those players and it could be that Newcastle were able to cut a, a a good price deal for him but then I would imagine as well let's not forget that if the asking price was to lower there would be an awful lot more suitors out there than just Newcastle United although I think Nathan Ake would be guaranteed first team football there oh yeah absolutely and and I've I've respected Ake a lot for making his career at, at Bournemouth and you know pledging his loyalty to them for a, for a num- number of seasons so far but if they go down He'll, it's, it's quite quite understandable that he would subtly force a move out at least and, and, and try and get back up into the Premier League. So perhaps that's another yeah another reason why they might uh, might get him at a kind of knockdown price. Now the list starts getting interesting. This is where we start getting into that period where on FIFA you've gone you've started your season on FIFA with your local team right, and you've you've played the first season thinking I'm gonna do I'm gonna do it realistically and you sign realistic players, and then it gets to a point where you've all of a sudden won the Premier League in your first year, you're in the Champions League and you're like, I can afford to spend £50 million on a certain <laughs> player that's world-class. So uh, I have a feeling that's where the, the boundaries we're about to enter now. Yeah, and you've got half, your half well, almost every player in your squad on 20000 a week and then one player on 300k, and it's... Exactly it's, that. Yeah, so um, in that vein, the next one on the list at 7-2 to two to be signed as Newcastle's mm. first player... Dries Mertens from Napoli. It's an interesting one because he's Dries Mertens isn't young. Yeah, I know. Is he? He's 31, 32. 32, I think. I might be wrong. But so he's no spring chicken and his best years are behind him. I think it would be a case of, again, when you look back at Man City and the players they bought in, if we continue to use them as a case study throughout this, and you look at the fact they brought in Colo Torre, Adibayor, Carlos Tevez, players that had been playing Champions League football at the top of their game, but were coming towards perhaps the twilight years of their of their career. Dries Mertens fits that mould. Yeah, brings the experience. You know, he's played in the big, in some of the biggest games in world football. Um, he's played with some of the best players in world football as well. Is certainly when you consider his international teammates as well. Yeah. It would be a shrewd move if they can get him on a reasonable fee, which I think they probably will when you look at the the Italian transfer market and players don't usually sell for astronomical amounts. It, it's, a, it's a funny one. I If I was a Newcastle fan and I saw that we'd signed Dries Mertens, would I be bouncing off the walls? No. Yeah. Would I be intrigued? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Um. Obviously, you've already explained how you're a, a Southampton supporter. Uh, this is the time to tell everyone that, um, despite our friendship, um, 
we we do have some some tough times at, at times seeing as i'm a Portsmouth supporter um and if i think back to the the few glory days that pompey had in you know the mid noughties and struggle to remember and, them if i'm honest <laughs> so long ago but uh but if we think back to that time i remember that the the way kind of harry redknapp managed to acquire such a such a kind of illustrious squad, which to be honest, I'm not that happy with as a Portsmouth support. I preferred it when we had the likes of Matty Taylor and Gary O'Neill and proper servants of the club. But by the by, once he once he bought Sol Campbell, who at the time was over 30, um, and obviously his best years were behind him and so on, that's when we started getting the likes of David James in, Glenn Johnson and that kind of thing. And, and as you said with Mertens, you've got a player... All the other players that had their careers behind them as well. By the <laughs> but, Jermaine, but, but you're right, the Jermaine Defoe's, the, the Peter Crouches and the uh, the Kevin Prince Boateng, who I loved watching for Portsmouth. He's probably one of my favourite players to watch for you, along with Sully Montari. So yeah. I get your point. Yeah, and absolutely. And and from from there, what, they could, what you could say with Drees Mertens, it's not actually his talent, his ability that would elevate the club, but it's perhaps his network, his contacts, who he's friends with, he could possibly, um, he could possibly, you could get him relatively cheaply, as you say, put him on a higher salary, his experience and know-how would, would keep them, keep fans interested in that kind of thing, but hopefully bring more, more kind of high profile players to the club in the future. Absolutely. I think it's a case of, if you look at many, many sports around the world especially when you look at the american sports and the fact that they're always putting so much weight on veteran presence in the locker room and you consider the success that premier league clubs have had over the years there's always been that veteran presence that has been able to lead the locker room you think vincent company for years at at man city you think rear ferdinand at man united after the kind of the class of 92 had all, all left and there's no reason why Dries Mertens couldn't perhaps be that catalyst for for Newcastle initially. Yeah, absolutely. So we've gone through the the three most likely in quite a lot of detail there. Um, obviously deliberately because who knows there they're probably the mo- according to the Chronicle the most likely to end up in a in a Newcastle shirt next year. But um, I'm just going to give you the next three names on the list, okay? And then we'll kind of, kind of chat about those in um, in tandem. So we've got Alexis Sanchez at nine to one. Jack Grealish at ten to one, and James Rodriguez from Madrid. Not James Rodriguez. James Rodriguez from Real Madrid at ten to one. Thoughts on any of those? Yeah, they're all pretty ridiculous, aren't they? Really, certainly at this point. <laughs> yeah. Certainly at this point. And uh, Alexis Sanchez. I think if you're a club that has brought in the likes of Dries Mertens, for example. You could imagine Alexis Sanchez looking at it and going, this could be a perfect opportunity for a team to be built around me and for me to try and resurrect my career whilst I still have the chance. Yeah. However, would he do that in the Premier League with Newcastle or would he stay in Italy, for example, as the rumours are circling at the moment with regards to Roma being interested Mm. and whoever else, then it, it starts to become questionable. It would be another intriguing one. It would be one that certainly would make people sit up and take notice. But again, I don't think it would set the world alight considering he hasn't done much in in club football for a fair few seasons now. So that one is is difficult. I'm not sure that Newcastle would want to spend the money on his wages as well. That's it, isn't it? Yeah, it's his wage. That's the big one when you consider how much money he's on. He's one of the highest paid footballers in the world and he's certainly not playing like that at the moment. So I think it would be difficult for Newcastle to, to warrant that that expenditure. 
But you move on to someone like Jack Grealish, who I think will be going to a bigger club in this summer or whenever the transfer period uh, opens. I think he'll be going to somewhere like a like a Tottenham, a, a Man United, or you know one of the traditional top six teams in in England. I think his talent, I his talent's unquestionable. I'm still unconvinced by him with regards to the fee that has been mooted in the press. Yeah. I don't think he's warranted that considering he's been the best of an incredibly poor bunch at Aston Villa this year. But yeah, I can't see Newcastle being the ones that win his signature. I think he's got to the point of his career where he needs to kick on and make that next step to then be considered for an international role and and things like that. And I think that's going to be better suited for him and his career trajectory within within the top six. Yeah, I I mean, I totally agree that yeah, you know, it's obviously strong links with Manchester United and, and, and Chelsea and others as well, and Tottenham, as you say. But I almost think that there must be an aspect of Jack Grealish that's tempted if Newcastle come knocking, because he's he's proven that he can be the main man at a football club. I mean, Aston Villa have just relied on him so much this year, and without him, they'd be you know languishing bottom, no questions asked. And by him going to Newcastle, again, another club, a bit like Villa, um, certainly more so than Villa, I would have thought, who whose fans, you know, really stick behind their players and, and um and you know, they, they fall in love with their players quite quite easily. He could be he could be one of those players that gets the opportunity to to push Newcastle in the in the right direction and, and sort of revolutionise the team. Um I I think obviously you you look at Manchester United. It's hard to turn that down. You know they've still got such pulling power. Um, you know even 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 to in, by today's standards. But I, I think he must be tempted with Newcastle. I, I don't think it's going to happen personally. I wouldn't be putting a bet on that, even if I were a betting man anytime soon. But um, I don't know. What do you think? I, I would have thought there'd be some sort of temptation there. Yeah, I appreciate that point. I think it's a really good shout as well. You know, he could look at himself and go, you know, I can become the face of that of that club up in Newcastle and they can build around me over the next two or three years whilst they can start to bring in some bigger names and some more talented players. I suppose the only thing that still makes me hesitate to commit to that point of view is perhaps from from his standpoint is arguably and Man United fans aren't going to be too happy to hear it. Man United are a project right now. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're by no means a finished article. And I think when you, if you're Jack Grealish, would you rather go and play for a project that has players around you who can win games themselves, like your Marcus Rashfords, your Martials, your Pogba's if he stays, for example? Yeah. Or do you want to start from scratch in Newcastle? And I think... Th- it would be a more attractive proposition to perhaps be the hero in Manchester over a shorter period of time than it would be to be the catalyst over a longer period of time in Newcastle. I think it's got to the point now in his career where he's probably he's overstayed at, in Aston at Aston Villa longer than he should have done considering his talent. He should have flew the nest last year, perhaps even the year before. I th- I just have a feeling that if you were to weigh it up as a percentage between those two options, I think Man United would just slightly outweigh mm. it. Um, oh, I, I agree as well. Only, I'm only, I'm only po- uh, you know, posting a kind of... Devil's advocate. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, that's what we're here for. <laughs> Indeed. Um, 
I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm going to throw another one out there with James Rodriguez. My feeling is this is a convenience buy in the sense that he's not found a home in recent years. You can't question his ability, uh, but he, he hasn't been able to break into the likes of Real Madrid, uh, the likes of Bayern Munich, well-known and so on and so forth. So my feeling is he's unsettled. We could get him on the cheap. He's a world-class player. And it's not really thinking carefully about the recruitment, the style of play, whether he fits the mould. What do you think? Uh, I think he is the Robinho signing. Yeah. He's, he, he, he fits that mould perfectly. You think that... Yeah, Robinho was playing at Real Madrid at the time, but sparingly, yeah. you know. And he was this wonder kid that was brought to Real Madrid to take over from the Galacticos and to, to bring through this next generation of Champions League winners and La Liga dominance. And it just didn't happen. You know, it yeah. was always a, a wonder kid that didn't quite reach his potential and James Rodriguez is exactly that as well. You think the stunning goal that he scored at the World Cup for Colombia? Oh yeah, incredible. Going back a couple of tournaments, and he was he was player of the tournament, wasn't he? Player of the tournament, player of the tournament, or young player yeah, of the tournament, like one that, of the yeah. two, um, and was phenomenal talent. And off the back of that, got his seventy million pound move from Monaco to Real Madrid, but unfortunately, he just hasn't been able to establish himself, like you say, at Real Madrid or anywhere that he's been sent on loan, obviously, at the moment, with, with Bayern Munich. And I think it's really disappointing because of the talent he has. And I would argue that he needs a team to be built around him, which is why mm. he performed so well for Colombia and why he was able to perform so well for Monaco during his earlier years, because those teams were built around him. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Most people think with... It's usually with young players, don't they, that it is a bit of a roll of the dice. They think, oh, are they going to amount to much? Are they going to fulfil their potential? But, you know, with James Rodriguez, he's as much of a roll of the dice as any player is, really. He could he could turn... He could... Well, you said he, he probably won't set the world alight. I still think he's got it in him to, to you know, set the world alight if he had the right players around him. Um, I think his... You know, he, he his style of play doesn't help him in terms of playing week in, week out and a gruelling Premier League schedule. Um, you know, I think, you know, possible in injury concerns down the line and things like that. But I do think he could he could help Newcastle prosper, certainly. Um, but is he going to be worth the wage and the money? I think there are better players out there. Um, and, and speaking of better players out there, um, three more names. Um, to start us off, Will... Just give me the order in which you think Newcastle should sign them, or you know what what's the best one down to the third best one. Uh, the next three names on the list are Philip Coutinho, Nabil Fekir, and Wilfried Zaha. Give us your thoughts. So, just off the top of my head, straight away, I'm putting Wilfried Zaha at number one, the player they should sign wow. above the other two. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Then Philip Coutinho, and then Nabil Fekir. I will start off obviously by <laughs> explaining why I've put Zaha above <laughs> yeah, those other two cool. players. Yeah, that's a big call. That's a big I think it's a case of Zaha has proven that he can have a, he can be the focal point. Similar to what we were saying around Grealish earlier, he's been Crystal Palace's best player for a few years now, and they only look dangerous when he's on the pitch. When he's not there, when he's injured, when he's out, suspended or whatever, um, <laughs> then they look lost without him. He gives them that focal point in the in the attacking half of the pitch to really drive forward and, and create chances and 
I think it's a case of it's a a low risk signing that one would be. He's a player that's established in the Premier League. Um he's like I said been he's had some sensational seasons recently with Crystal Palace and Newcastle would be a lateral step, but one that in two or three years' time would and probably will be seen as a step up. And I think it's a case of preempting that and making low, that low move risk. sooner rather than later. Sorry, well, low low risk, but high high value, surely. I mean, Chris Palace aren't going to let him go for a lot, you wouldn't have thought. No, that's very true. I suppose, again, it comes back to what we were saying about Nathan Ake earlier with regards to how the, the, the market is going to unfold over the coming months or even year or two and yes they're not going to let him go on the cheap but when you consider again it's usually a case of around the 70 million mark has been mooted but we can probably take a bit off that now with the current situation unfolding around the world is he someone that if Newcastle rang Steve Parrish and said 50 million or Steve Parrish said that 50 million is my asking price would you say yes? Absolutely. Yeah, I think you would. That's a that's a that's a fifty million pound player for for a team that is gonna that is gonna kickstart your your next chapter in your history. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and but I think the the main point around Zahar is really coming down to the fact that he's experienced in the league. He's got that strength and power that you want to see from a, a Premier League winger. You know, all of the 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 best Premier League wingers over the years have uh, have had that. Um, speed and power and I, I think yeah he's he's certainly someone that I would get excited by if I was a Newcastle supporter if it came out that we'd signed him and I think it, it's for those those reasons there that he is top of the list out of those three players if you if I move on to someone like Philippe Coutinho obviously he's a sensational player he's proven himself in the in the Premier League when he was with Liverpool and the fact that a team can be built around him but again it's similar to James Rodriguez in the fact that over the last few years he hasn't really done a lot and I think the fee that he will command from Barcelona that Barcelona will want uh, somewhat a club to pay for him would be higher than what Wilfred Zaha would be and I think he'd be a higher risk signing than Wilfred Zaha so that's why I put him just a touch below um, the Crystal Palace winger because just slightly higher risk because of the fee and also the fact that this is a player that hasn't been playing week in week out for, for two or three years now uh, which can lead to rust and it can lead to a player not getting back anywhere near to the standard that they were before um, so there's obviously like I say he, he is proven in the Premier League he's un, he's an unquestionable talent which is why he's number two I do, I do agree with, with what you say about Zaha and, and Coutinho. You've, you've, you've put across a solid argument. I'm still slightly more, um, more excited by Philip Coutinho, um, just because I feel that Zaha's temperament at times holds him back, um, and not to say that Coutinho's doesn't, but Coutinho is just brings out that, or at least when, you know, back with Liverpool, and I've seen uh, sporadically clips of him at Barcelona and. He does. He does pull out moments of magic when you need them, and and you think back to City's, you know, um, City's decade and what they've had and how they've achieved where what they've got to. Arguably, it all started with a moment of magic from Aguero, or you know, they re- re- 
relied on a moment of magic from Vincent Company last season with um you know with that goal against Leicester and stuff like that. And I think the moment of magic players are the ones that are hard to find, and that's why I'd be slightly more tempted with with Coutinho. Um, final three players. This is interesting. Um, one thing one thing we'll talk about is the transfer market from value on for on transfer market for definite. But the three final names: Gareth Bale, who by the way is on transfer marked down as only being twenty eight million market value. Um, Jaden Sancho, and Harry Kane, um, and even Harry Kane, who's the least likely, is still thirty three to one to sign. So. Um, you know, that's I would have, I would have thought he'd be far higher in terms of odds to, to for them to get get Kane. But what are your thoughts on those two players? Will oh, just ridiculous. It's never going to happen. Um, it's it's yeah. It's the, <laughs> when I said about my FIFA analogy earlier. This is your second third season, yeah, on FIFA, and you've got too much money, or you've just done the financial takeover setting aptly for the current situation, <laughs> um, and you just spunk it all on a. On a player like like Kane or or Sancho or um, who was the other one you said? Bale. 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 Bale won't happen because, despite the fact that Madrid want rid of him, and I think Madrid would take anything for him. Um, I don't think I think they just want him off the books. This is another player that's on, you know, three hundred k three hundred k plus or... a, a week. At the very least, yeah. and is a player again who hasn't been playing week in week out for three, four, five years. That's a long time for a player, yeah, to be out of the game. And let's not forget that he's completely disinterested in playing football right now. Yeah, he's played occasionally for Wales during that time, um, but yeah, there's no way that I can see him leaving Madrid before the end of his contract. He's gonna take. He's gonna keep milk in that contract and the amount he's being paid for as long as he can. I mean, he's made that abundantly clear by his, his golf comments that have come out from his camp. Yeah. Obviously, it didn't come from the horse's mouth, but it's all been very well uh, reported. I think he'd be far more likely to go to another Champions League team. I don't think he's a player that would be happy to, to settle for a project. I think he'd be he'd, he'd want to move to a, a Paris Saint-Germain or a Bayern Munich or somewhere like that. I think those are the kind of teams that would fit his... Um, his desires but also those are the kind of teams that would be willing to pay him on a weekly basis to have him at the club that's the thing really with those three players particularly isn't it they're they're the sorts of players in the prime of their careers they've already proved themselves they want to be playing champions league football you know that's just a given why would Jaden sancho have worked so hard abroad with borussia dortmund to to then try and you know go to go to newcastle rainy northern you know um, yeah and 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 work work on on a project there i just i just don't see that to be brutally honest with you and and were kane a bit like shearer a, like a boy boyhood fan of newcastle or something there'd be a a morsel of hope but it, you know if, if kane's ever going to leave tottenham it's not going to be for a you know someone lower than them is it no not at all i think that's it's, it's very true it's a case of you can look back at Newcastle's previous success and that's when they did go out and break the world transfer fee for Alan Shearer and the the success that shortly followed but they're not going to be they can't afford to do that well they can perhaps afford to do it but 
it's they don't have the same draw. You know, Alan Shearer is a Geordie. Yeah. He's 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 a Geordie through and through. You cut him open, he bleeds black and white. That's not going to be the same for Harry Kane. You know, and no. it's a case of Harry Kane's openly said that he wants to be winning trophies now, and it's it's highly likely that um, we could have perhaps maybe even seen his last game in a in a Tottenham shirt. Uh, and it's a case of he's far far more likely to move to somewhere like a Real Madrid or Barcelona or a a, a top top Premier League team um, that can afford it. Um, so any players. You know, we kind of come to our own of our list now. So, any players that you want to throw into the mix, have you given this a thought at all, um, or, or not? So, one I actually want to throw to you, and it's a rumor that came out in the uh, in the gossip columns yesterday, uh, and that player is Jesse Lingard. Ooh. Now, he was linked yesterday uh, with Newcastle uh, as well as Everton, West Ham, and Leicester. There's obviously a player that hasn't enjoyed. A recent run of form. Uh, it was obviously well documented that there were no goals or no assists last season. Yeah. So yeah, I want to just uh, be interesting to see what your take on uh, on Jesse Lingard's link would be. Yeah, I mean he's had a torrid time, hasn't he? Last couple of years. I mean even his fashion label has lost money in its first couple of years. Um, so you know, the 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 unsuccessful story of Jesse Lingard. Has surely got to come to an end at Manchester United. I mean, I actually, when I see him in an England shirt, I don't think he should have ever gone to the Euros this year. If you know, if it was happening, but when I see him in an England shirt, I do get quite excited when he comes off off the bench. I do feel he's a player that can make something happen in a benched capacity. I don't feel he should be starting games at that level for Manchester United and. You know where Newcastle aspire to be, um, but I, you know I, I think he's still got worth and still got value in in this league somewhere. Um, but personally, you know, like we like we spoke about with your kind of John McGinn's and that kind of thing, I don't I don't see Lingard keeping a first team place beyond two years of Newcastle's taker over. I think he'd end up playing a very similar role to to that you know what he did at Man- what he's doing at Manchester United currently. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I just can't see a real reason why they should be spending money on Lingard as opposed to other players out there in, in the market. Yeah, I completely agree. Like you say, his years are behind him. He's he's not going to be a player that is going to help Newcastle with their aspirations. Um, I, I think this is very much a case of probably agent talk. Yeah, we yeah. know that he's recently signed with a new agent, um, and he's going to try and get out out of there. But I think he's far more likely to move to an Everton over over a project like Newcastle. Um, so it brings me on to so two more players that the the club have been linked with. Go for it. Uh, in the last few hours, so the first one is Frank Kessie at AC Milan. Okay. Um, and then the next player is Carlos Alina. Carlos Alina at Barcelona. Mm. They're, they're young 22-year-old um, who's currently on loan at Real Betis. So, yeah, those, those two um, players, what are your initial thoughts? So with, with Kessie, I think that's a, that's a player that every Premier League side is trying to get. Defensive, um, deep-lying or kind of box-to-box player who kind of acts as an enzyme, breaking down the play um, and, and that kind of thing. You know, you see... Kante 
has made a name for himself, obviously, over the last few years, playing that role. Wilfred and Didi arguably has been the best defensive midfielder um, in the Premier League this season. Um, and if you go back, obviously, check Teote. And yeah, and, and, and check Teote as well. Um, so I think that would be that would be quite a good signing. Uh, it depends on obviously the price tag and the fee. Um, I know he's he's been about quite a few clubs in um, in Italy. I think possibly on loan loan moves. Um, he'll have I think he'll have seen a lot of different places. You know, hopefully they will or they would see him pick up new style of play under a new manager like that. He'd probably be ready to fight for the cause. So I I think of all the names we've discussed so far, that's that seems like a, like quite a good quite a good signing. And with the price tag mooted at around 30 million euros, which I guess would be around 27 million pounds, that's a decent, decent amount to pay for a player that's only 23 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Alina, this is this is one that's that's interesting because Real Betis have had a woeful season this year. I, mean, I don't, I mean, I I haven't looked at, I didn't look at it from February onwards. Obviously, football was pretty inconsistent, you know, then anyway. Um, but I know that they've had a really, really bad year. So again, the likes of Fekir, the likes of Elena, you'd have thought, even if they are having good games and turning out good performances, you'd have thought that they would have been able to at least make Betis into more than just a kind of 12th, 13th, 14th side. Um, and, and you know, the amount of that the Betis have funded into um, into the club, they've only got their eyes on, on Champions League, really, and, and pipping that fourth spot, I guess, after Barca, um, Real, and, and Atletico, so um, yeah, I think I think you you look, every everyone's always excited by a youngster. Could he turn into something? Yes. Could he be a Memphis Depay signing? Yes. You know, I think at this at this stage, it's just too early to tell. Um, I would personally rather cash my chips in to a player that's you know between twenty three and twenty five who've proven themselves at a high level for longer than someone who's who's kind of been out on loan, not really made the first team, that kind of thing. But do you have a different view? Well, I think it's also the fact that Barcelona rate him highly. I think it's going to be a case of he'll probably remain at the club and certainly try and push for a starting place. I think Barcelona themselves are in, despite leading La Liga, um, on 58 points, but they're only, you know, they're only two points ahead of, of Real Madrid and they've lost more games than they've drawn. You know, it's it's a case of all the teams at the top of La Liga, when you consider Barcelona and Madrid and the fact that Atletico themselves are in, in sixth, for example, at the moment, all these teams are going to be looking to how can they elevate to that next level. Um, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see whether... Elena is part of those plans. Is he going to be a case of a new generation of a rebuild, perhaps in Barcelona? It's obviously yet to be seen, but I think this one's a, a tenuous link, and I think it's a classic example of the fact that any player that pops up as perhaps available or a team is interested in uh, this summer, Newcastle are going to be spoken in the same breath, just because of the nature of the takeover and the the fact that they've got the money to spend um, on any player in the world if they wanted to. So, yeah, I'm not sure that uh, he'd be the answer to anybody's prayers. Um, so we're going to wrap this up pretty uh, pretty soon, Will. But one one question that I want, want to pose to you. If 
Newcastle get sign uh, get taken over, and they have a you know they sign three or four players, let's say in um, in the summer, and a couple more players in January. Where are you thinking they might end up next season in the league? I think you need to look at baby steps. So I'd say top half. I wouldn't say I wouldn't commit to anything higher than that. I think if they finish tenth, eighth to tenth, that's a, that's a great start to to a new chapter. That's exactly what Man City did. Yeah. Um, after after the takeover, they finished tenth that season, um, and then obviously we know what happened after that. So I think it's a case of you bring in a few names, like you've said, two or two to four players that can make a difference, uh, and you can then start to build around at a later date. So I'd say anywhere between. I'd say ninth and tenth would be where I would position them. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking I can't see them unless the top six team has a terrible season. I can't see them breaking to the top six. Um, Leicester, obviously, uh, and Wolves are probably the next two underneath underneath the top six who who have consistently shown themselves to being quite a dangerous outfit. So, as you say, top six, then those two at eighth. I think any anything above ninth they take as a, as a really solid season. Um, depending obviously on how much they're spending and how much they're um, how much they're doing in terms of wages. Excellent. So um, thanks for joining us today, Will. It's great to give us an extra dynamic to talk about and some some uh, some opinions to bounce off. Um, so yeah, uh, obviously keep safe, stay safe around this time, um, and hopefully we can get back to uh, enjoying the football very very soon. Yeah, you too. Uh, thank you very much for, for having me. It's been good fun. Um, it's been good to talk about this kind of thing at length rather than kind of just yeah, yep. <laughs> playing FIFA to try and fill my time or watching the old run-throughs of Premier League years on Sky Sports. Um, so, yeah, no, thanks for having me and uh, I'm more than happy to come back whenever you want another chat. Yeah, it's uh, going to be interesting to see how the whole Newcastle saga unfolds, certainly. Uh, well, all there is left to say from us is stay safe, stay at home, uh, and obviously while you're at it, uh, why not follow Back4 on Twitter at Back4Blogs uh, and visit the website for more blogs and podcasts. Goodbye.